Well, this Wednesday we have uh, we have coming to Glad Tidings this Wednesday night, Solomon and Lori. They are missionaries to an unreached people group um, that we support here at Glad Tidings. And we would just encourage you to come out to our prayer meeting this Wednesday night at 630. And you'll have an opportunity. I think we might have a photo of them. Uh, give you an opportunity to hear about what God is doing through them and through their ministry. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Please come this Wednesday. We are learning how to pray here at Glad Tidings. How many of you know you never stop learning how to pray? Right. So come join us, learn how to pray and hear what God is doing um, through some of our missionaries this Wednesday. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to to Matthew chapter six. And uh, we're going to get there here in just a little bit. I'm going to jump around a little bit this morning, but I want to begin with with this. Uh, if, If you're reading through the Bible this year and. And there's different Bible reading plans out there, but right now I'm reading through Leviticus. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading through Leviticus this week, and I think I found my life verse. And so I want you to see this with me. My life verse I have found this week in Leviticus. Let's see if we can get that up on the screen. A man who has lost his hair and is bald is clean. It gets even better. Watch, this is confirmation. If he has lost his hair from the front of his scalp and has a bald forehead, he is clean. I'm clean. I'm clean. (laughs) How many brothers are clean this morning? Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. We're clean. All right. So uh, I know we're joking around a little bit, but as you read through Leviticus, you ever go, why am I reading about infectious skin diseases? You know, why am I reading about bodily discharges? Why am I reading about mildew? Why all this stuff? Why all these laws about what's clean and what's unclean? And I just wanted to pause and just say this. What God is wanting us all to know is that he's holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And he's wanting us to understand that sin is like an infectious skin disease. If you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. If you don't deal with it, it will infect you and it will infect others. And it eventually, it's like sin, it will kill you. So God is trying to set himself up as holy and he puts all these laws out there and all of these laws that he puts out there about what's clean and unclean. None of those laws can clean us. None of those laws can make us holy in his sight. How many of you say amen? None of them can. And so then God introduces this whole sacrificial system, this whole thing about killing bulls and goats and blood has to be shed. And and what is God communicating that there's there's a penalty for sin there's a penalty of death and and blood has to be shed for for sins to be removed but here's what's crazy about all these blood the blood of all these bulls and goats the bible says the blood of bulls and goats does not remove sin and i want to read something to you before we get to matthew 6 this morning it will all make sense i want to read something to you from hebrews chapter 10 In the New Living Translation, verse number one. And this this talks about laws. It talks about sacrifice. and, And it points us to what it all means. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview 
of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. Watch this. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Watch this verse three. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Watch this. Jump to verse number 10. For God's will was to excuse me, for God's will was for us to be made holy. There's that holy word. By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Verse 14. For by that one offering, Jesus, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. We don't have any bulls and goats here this morning. We only have the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His shed blood is what removes our sin once and for all time. And that's awesome. That's what we celebrated this morning when we received that communion together. So God is holy. The law tells us we're not holy. The blood of animals can't remove our sin. Only Jesus shed blood can remove our sin and make us holy. See, for us to to have this prayer time with God, this fellowship with God, we have to be holy. We can't just barge in and say, hey, God, what's going on? You know, and and come and and just be be a bunch of sinners and not care about how he's holy. Because, right, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. So this this idea of being God's people and being holy people. Let me explain that to you for a moment. Holiness, there, there's two kinds of, there's holiness, there's two kinds of holy. there's this positional holiness and this practical holiness. Positional holiness is what God does in us. It's what God does for us by his Holy Spirit. When we become children of God, God makes us holy. The Bible says he imparts his holiness or his righteousness to us. So positional holiness is God puts his holiness in us. Practical holiness is we live out what God has put in us. We live out that holy life that God has called us to live. He's put it in. We got to get it out. We've got to live this thing out. Um, we, we live out what God has put into us. And how many of you know that's a that's a tricky business, huh? We know that we're holy positionally. God sees us as holy as his children. But then he expects us to live this holy life. And that's when we run into trouble. That's when every day we get up and, and we're, we're fighting temptation. And we're fighting this and we're fighting that. And right, we have the bad attitude and, and we lust and we greed and, and all these things. And we covet and all these things are still confronted So even though we have the nature of God in us, imparted to us, this holy nature of God, we still have this sinful nature in us too. And there's this war going on. And sometimes we win those battles and sometimes we lose those battles. And that's why God gave us Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, forgive us. Because forgiveness is not just this one-time thing for salvation. Forgiveness is something that we may have to ask for every day of our life. 
Because we are holy and we're being made holy. Does that make sense? So here we are and Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Forgive us our debts or our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. Last week, we learned that the answer to our prayer, give us today our daily bread, is found in the context of community. God answers these prayers that we have, give us, forgive us, deliver us. He answers those prayers as we do life together in community. And we know that we do community here at Glad Tidings through our small groups. It's in in our small groups that we flesh this prayer out in our lives. So when you pray, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, God answers that prayer as we do life together, as you'll see this morning. When I was 18 years old, I got in an automobile accident, and uh, here's what happened. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I felt led to go to this conference, and I was down there all by myself, and and I am, I'm in my vehicle, my truck, and I am, I'm literally at a stoplight. I'm just sitting there waiting for the light to turn green. I'm not moving. I am stationary vehicle waiting for the light to turn green. I look in my rear view mirror and here comes a car and I can tell they are not slowing down. <laughs> so I just brace myself. I grab a hold of that steering wheel. I hold it tight. I'm pressing on the brake and I'm just waiting and boom, they slam into me. Cop comes. Turns out they have no, no driver's license, no insurance, uh, no registration. They get the citation. One year later, I find out I'm being sued for $100,000. Because I am responsible now for that person's bodily injuries, which, by the way, they walked away, had absolutely no injury whatsoever. But now they're suing me for $100,000, settled out of court for $10,000. We live in a culture. Amen to that. (laughs) We live in a culture, don't we? Where where people celebrate victimhood. And consequently, there are more attorneys and more lawsuits than ever before. Everyone is a victim. Everyone wants mercy for themselves and justice for everybody else. Can I tell you this morning that the outcome of our lives is not determined by what happens to us, but how we respond to what happens to us. I remember just about a year and a half ago, as you know, we have a dog, a big dog. And the last time Opal, our St. Bernard, was at the vet, she was overweight, 160 pounds. Okay. She's a big dog with a big bark and all of that that goes along with it. And we had this adjustment period with our neighbors. How many of you know that when you get a big dog, you make some big enemies too? And we didn't realize that. We've never had a dog before. We didn't know how to do this thing. And one morning, we're all getting ready to go to work and go to school. And our neighbor comes and at the front door. I open the front door. She goes, hi, I have a gift for you. She hands me this gift. She goes, thanks to you. I don't need this anymore. It was an alarm clock. I've told the story before. I received the alarm clock. I said, thank you. She turned around and left. We're all standing there in the kitchen going, what do we do with this? <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, we could give her a gift in return. We get her some earplugs or, you know, we get a sign for her yard that says house for sale. You know, something like that. You know, we could, you know, be kind and generous and give in return another gift. 
so we thought about that for just a little bit, and then that wasn't the right idea. So I contacted her later that day, and we worked it out. We're still using the alarm clock today. It's in the guest room in our basement. It works perfect. See, your life is not defined by what happens to you, but how you respond to what happens to you. And everybody has a, this happened to me story. I was offended. I was hurt. I was abused. I was taken advantage of. I was, I was ripped off. I was cheated. Everybody has a, this happened to me story. And how you handle your, this happened to me story will determine what the rest of your life is going to look like. And when it comes to forgiveness, it's a pretty serious issue. There are two ways that we can respond to those who have sinned against us. We can become either a debt collector, right, or a debt canceller. And I preached a message about a year and a half ago about about forgiveness. And I want to pull some of that back in this morning because we don't get what we teach. We get what we emphasize. And, And we need to get this message of forgiveness in our spirits. What is a debt? Forgive us our debts. A debt is simply what is owed. I owe a debt. You have a car payment. You have a house payment. You're in debt. You owe somebody something. When somebody sins against you, they owe you something. Jesus said, you've heard it said, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if somebody pokes your eye out, you can poke their eye out. Right? Somebody... Breaks your arm, you can break their arm. Somebody kills your child, you can go after them, right? But I say to you, turn the other cheek. So this whole thing changes. Jesus changes this whole thing about debt collecting and debt canceling. A debt collector chooses to make the offender pay. And a debt canceler chooses to forgive and set the offender free. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself, am I a debt canceller or am I a debt collector? Which one am I? Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 18, and it's a a parable about forgiveness. And I'm just going to read it to you. We're not even going to have it on the screen, but just listen. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents By the way, that's about $12 million in today's currency. Big money. This man was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay the debt, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will repay everything. The servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about $20,000 in today's money. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. He said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him. He said, be patient with me and I will repay you. But he refused and said he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be to be tortured. King James says to be tormented. 
until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35, listen to this. Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Whenever whenever somebody says to me, you know, I could never forgive that person. I ask myself, do they have any idea what they're saying? Do they have any idea of the consequences of unforgiveness? The Bible uses the word torment to describe those who can't forgive or won't forgive. Torment. I wonder if this morning, if if your life is is defined by that, is described by that word torment. You're, You're tormented. King Saul, at one point, he had this bitter, this unforgiving spirit towards David. And and the Bible says that God allowed a tormenting spirit to bother him. God allows you to be tormented if you do not forgive. And even the mental health professionals today, they will say that that. Unforgiveness and bitterness causes some of the most problematic emotional and physical problems in the human body. Fear is one of the symptoms of unforgiveness. Anger is huge for people who don't forgive. Anxiety, depression, excessive escapism. What is that? It's trying to numb out of the torment, trying to trying to run from the torment. Critical negative attitudes, inability to trust people, inability to keep friends. These are all symptoms of unforgiveness. Here's another big one. Sleeping disorders. Have trouble sleeping. Some people, they they can't sleep because of what they ate. Other people can't sleep because what's eating them. And sometimes unforgiveness will keep you awake. (laughs) It's that torment. Does that describe your condition? Maybe you think you're harming the other person by by giving the silent treatment or you're harming the other person. And and really what the Bible teaches is that you're actually harming yourself. You're you're actually harming yourself. I remember the the old the old uh, three stooges. Remember the old three stooges? Most 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 slaps curly on the chest, keeps smacking him on the chest. Finally, curly says, I've had enough with this. Keep slapping me on the chest. So he he straps a stick of dynamite to his chest. And he goes, next time he slaps me on the chest, I'm going to blow his hand off. (laughs) Well, that's what happens when we have unforgiveness. We think we're going to hurt the other person. We're we're out to hurt them in some way, you know, and they've got to confess first. They've got to repent first. We're doing ourselves more harm than good. Unforgiveness has been described by Pastor Bobby, like drinking deadly poison and then hoping the other person will die. That's unforgiveness. The worst kind of, of torment, though, in my opinion, is, is the torment of what I call solitary confinement. The worst kind of torment is being separated from God's fellowship, God's presence. That is the worst kind of torment in the world. As you read through the book of Psalms, you'll, you'll hear David talking about how precious the, the presence of God in his, in his life and, and how, when can I go and meet with God? And his heart was so broken over his sin with Bathsheba. It took him over a year to repent, but finally he confessed and that, that fellowship was restored. The worst kind of torment is this, celeb, 
this separation from the fellowship of God. You know, one of the primary ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit is how we treat one another. I want to show that to you in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Verse number 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do you see how God has, he has put grieving the Holy Spirit in the context of how we treat one another? If you value that kind of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if you value that open heaven with God, if you value that Adam and Eve walking with God kind of thing every day, if you value that kind of communion with God, then my friend, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness and learn to forgive. I, I can't live a day without having that open heaven, that open fellowship with God. The other day I was short with my son Levi. I don't remember what I said, but I was just, I think it was having to do with shovel snow. We've had to do a little bit of that this week. And I think I got after him. I said, you know, this is the third time I've asked you to do this. I want it done. And I was just, it was just rude. It was harsh. And I went downstairs to, to study and to pray, you know, and and how many of you know, you know, it just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, have you ever been there where you're praying, you're talking to God, you know, it's like, but there's like nothing there, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing. And, and when that happens to you, don't just plow through it. Well, God, I know you're there, even though I can't sense you. Here we go. You know, you know, pause and go, God, is there something? Did I grieve you in some way? You know, do I have any bitterness or was, was I rude to somebody today? And so I, I texted Levi and I said, man, sorry about that. And he said, dad, you better, better do it better next time. You know, no, he didn't say. <laughs> I didn't even ask him to forgive me. And he said, I forgive you, dad. You know, it was awesome. I just, I said, sorry, that was rude. You know, I prize that unbroken fellowship with God and I don't, I don't want it gone at all. So one of the consequences of unforgiveness is this, this torment. Another consequence of unforgiveness is not being forgiven by God. After Jesus teaches us how to pray, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he adds this commentary. And for some reason, he feels the need to bring up this topic of forgiveness again. In Matthew 6, verse 14, he says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. In other words, what God is saying here is, is you can't be a Christian and not be forgiven. And you can't be a Christian and not forgive. You can't be a Christian and not forgive. That's, that's what he's saying here. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. The greatest sermon that you or I, the greatest message that you or I will ever preach is the message of going and forgiving somebody that has offended us. 
If we can't preach that message, we have no message to preach. We have nothing to say because this gospel of the kingdom is good news. And the good news of this is God forgives me and I forgive you. And if we don't have that message, if we can't say that, we have to keep our mouth shut. We have nothing to say. So to be a Christian means that I'm going to forgive the inexcusable in you because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me, period. And if I can't do that, then I need to get saved. I've invited Kevin and Angela Meyer this morning to come and share their story about forgiveness and how God has... um, has brought forgiveness to their marriage in a very difficult time and how God actually used their small group to do that. So Kevin and Angela, if you would come and put your hands together, would you, as they come? Thank you. So whenever you're ready, we want to hear the story. It's a tough story um, because it's real. How many of you are real here this morning? Right. And, um, you know, when I when I share, I want to be real uh, with you. And uh, because that's the only thing God can can use. Right. He doesn't use phony. He doesn't use fake. He uses people who are real. And I just want to thank you guys for being willing to share your story. You know, and uh, if you're up for it, God help you to do that. Uh, Angela has written some things down. She's going to read that to you. And um, and then we're going to just. We're going to thank God for what he's done. You ready? I think. I think. Uh, all right. Hey, we love you. You're with family this morning. You really are. About um, three and a half years ago, I discovered that um, Kevin was involved very deeply with um, pornography and some other related issues. I mean, when I first found out, it was kind of like the floor just dropping out from under me. And uh, I just felt really lost and angry. And But I knew I needed a different perspective than my own. So the first person I called, my small group leader, Bib Schrader. And we met up here at the church building. She took time away from her desk and... She just, she listened to me. She held me while I cried. Excuse me. She prayed with me. Thank you. And then she pointed me to Pastor Jason for counsel. And I remember him asking me, do you want to save your marriage? And are you willing to do what it'll take? I knew that that had to start with a decision to move towards forgiveness. And, uh, I mean, it didn't stop the pain. It didn't stop the need for healing or the need for grieving, but it put me in the right direction. And, uh, Bib was with me the whole way. I mean, right soon after that, they had to go on vacation and she, she made sure I had both her phone numbers. She said, call me anytime if you need to talk. And, um, You know, the process of forgiveness and overcoming addiction is not just a straight path. There's ups and downs and bumps. And every time there was a bump, I had to choose to forgive again. And uh, Bib was right there. (laughs) I don't know how many times she listened to me and prayed. And, you know, I know now if I hadn't been going the right direction, she would have chased me down. (laughs) 
And um, not everyone in my small group knew right away what was going on, but it was a safe place for me. I knew I was loved and accepted. And, and I tell you what, when we did finally share, and those women came around me and prayed for me, it was like water on parched ground, just knowing they were supporting me. And then did you want to share your part on the... Uh, in addition to Bob and Bibb's small group, they never showed once anything but love and acceptance and forgiveness for me. Thank you, guys. And uh, in addition to that, I also joined another small group that at uh, Christ Community that was uh, specifically tailored towards men struggling with sexual addiction. And through the forgiveness and the love and the acceptance, that would, and I should say continual forgiveness, 70 times 7, that helped me tremendously in peeling back the layers of shame and self-condemnation that w drove me underground and kept me from accepting God's forgiveness and others. And just want to say that um, when we did finally share our story with everyone in Bob and Bibb's group, they showed just as much love to me as they did to Angela. And people were transparent themselves about the struggles that they had. And I think that's really the power. And, and just before we close, I just want to say, Pastor Jason, Walt, Raphael, I hope you realize you guys are more than pastors. You're friends. Bob and Bib and all the rest of you in the group, your family. Thank you. Amen. Thank you guys for sharing. I know that took a lot of courage to share. And, um, you know, there's a time, right, to uh, when you when you've gone through some healing and you've gone down that forgiveness journey, there's a right season for you to share that with somebody uh, and that can that can help other people. So um, I, I heard a lot of great things in that story. I heard small group community and how they really walked with you through that. Um, uh, process. I heard that word process, right? Um, some great things there. And God isn't finished. He's not finished. And I, my prayer is that, that God would complete the good work that he's begun in you guys. Thank you for sharing your hearts, your lives with us this morning. Can we say thank you one more time? Thank you. So to forgive means to cancel the debt and let the debtor go. At some point, Angela had to had to cancel this debt, had to had to release Kevin and say, I no longer hold you responsible for what you have done. That person owes me nothing, no apology, no explanation, no payment. The debt is canceled. Let me talk to you for a moment about what forgiveness is not. Sometimes for us to understand what it is, we have to understand what it is not. Forgiveness is not excusing behavior. 
Jesus forgave the sinful woman, but he did not approve of what she did. In fact, he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. So forgiveness is not excusing behavior. Number two, forgiveness is not denial. You don't deny what they did or deny that it hurts you. If they say, I'm so sorry for what I did, don't say it's no big deal. It was a big deal. It hurts you. It happened. Don't deny it. Number three, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't erase our memories. In fact, what makes forgiveness forgiveness is the fact that we can remember it very well, but we choose to cancel it anyway. Number four, forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is unconditional, but trust is conditional. Forgiveness is what you do. Rebuilding of trust is what they do. And number five, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Okay. Reconciliation requires the participation of two people. So what if that person doesn't want to see you, doesn't want to forgive you, doesn't want to talk to you? Let's say that person that hurt you and offended you is no longer alive. What do you do? The good news is you can forgive that person and they will never have to know that you've forgiven them. And that's where forgiveness starts. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. You owe me nothing. You owe me no apologize, uh, uh, apology. I expect nothing from you in the future in terms of making it right. Okay, that's, that's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not reconciliation, though. We've looked at what forgiveness is and what it is not. The question this morning that we have to ask ourselves is, have I forgiven? Have I forgiven that person that wounded me? Have I forgiven that person that has sinned against me? Nancy Lay DeMoss, in her book entitled, great book, by the way, Choosing Forgiveness, she says this in her book, you can tell if you have not forgiven by how you answer the following questions. This is a true or false test. We're going to take it this morning. You can tell if you have not forgiven by how you answer these questions. First question, I often replay in my mind the incident that hurt me. True or false? When I think of that person, I get angry. How many of you know about that? You see that person at Walmart and this, your, your blood pressure goes up. Number three, I have a secret desire, secret desire, maybe I haven't told anybody, to see that person pay for what he or she did to me. True or false. Number four, I often find myself telling others how this person has hurt me. True or false. And finally, a lot of my conversations revolve around this situation. True or false. If you answered true to one or more of those questions, it's possible this morning that you have not forgiven that person. It's possible this morning that 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 hurt, that that infection in you is still there. It's still festering and your life is is being tormented by that situation. You were playing in your mind. You're thinking of what they've done. You have the desire to see justice done. You, you're talking to other people about it. Most of your conversations revolve around this situation. It could be that you have not yet forgiven. I want to talk to you finally as we close about how to forgive this morning. Colossians 3 verse number 13 says this. Bear with each other. How many of you know there's a lot of that going on, right? Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we forgive? We forgive as Christ forgave. So we have to look at how Christ forgave us. What's amazing to me about Jesus and forgiveness is this. 
in his darkest place, hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We can learn from that phrase about how God wants to forgive us. One of his closest friends, think about this for a moment, Judas, one of his closest disciples, part of the 12, had just betrayed him. The rest of the disciples abandoned him. The one who promised he would never deny him just denied him three times. His own people that he came to deliver from the power of sin, they rejected him. They called him demon possessed. They called him a blasphemer and they cried, crucify him. The soldiers, they spit on him, struck him. They stripped him. They whipped him. They nailed him to the cross and they mocked him saying he has saved others, but he can't save himself. And it was in that moment, in that hour, in that nanosecond, if you will, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How did Jesus forgive? He forgave his offenders at the height of their offense. Not after the resurrection, not, at, not after everything worked out in the end. Oh, everything's good. Enough time has passed. Let's forgive one another. It was during the crucifixion there on the cross that he forgave his offenders. Number two, he forgave his offenders before they recognized their need to be forgiven. He didn't wait until they understood what they had done to him. He didn't wait until they had confessed their sin. Friends, let me tell you, if you believe that you are not required to forgive unless your offender has first repented, you are not following Jesus's example of how to forgive. You don't wait till they come to you and say, I was wrong. You don't wait till they come to you and say, would you forgive me? I've repented. You don't wait for that. You forgive them. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while he died, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Number three, he forgave his offenders in prayer. (laughs) I love this. He forgave his offenders in prayer. Don't even try going to the person who has hurt you. Don't go to them first and say, hey, you know, I forgive you. They may go for what? They they may not have any idea that that they have offended you. Don't go to that other person first and, and try to be released from that torment. Only God can release you from that torment. They can't release you from that torment. Only God can do that. Go to God in prayer. Do what Jesus did. On the cross, he went to his father in prayer and he laid it out before him. He said, God, they've done this, 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 but they don't know what they're doing. You and I know what they're doing, but they don't know. Forgive them. He could only say that because Jesus had forgiveness in his heart, in his own heart. And finally, number four, I love this about Jesus. He no longer keeps record of wrongs. He no longer keeps record of wrongs. How can we forgive like Jesus? We forgive our offenders at the height of the fence. We forgive them before they recognize their need to be forgiven. We forgive them in prayer. We take it to God in prayer. That's where we forgive the debt. That's where we release it. And then we no longer, like Jesus, we no longer keep record of wrongs. Because love does not erase memories. But love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. What I love about God is when we bring up past sins, 
past sins that have been forgiven, God says, what sins? I don't know what you're talking about. Steve, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. God says, when you bring up all these past sins that have been forgiven, because God chooses to remember our sins no more. How many of you know God? He God doesn't forget things. God doesn't forget things. He's got a great memory, right? But he chooses to remember them no more. He keeps no record of wrongs. What he remembers is the repentance. What he remembers is the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for your behalf. What he sees is Jesus, not you. What he sees is Jesus' righteousness, not your sinfulness. And so he keeps no record of wrongs. So forgiveness is a promise never to bring up that sin against that person again. Not to God, not to the person who committed it, and not to anyone else. And when we have totally forgiven, we no longer have a reason to tell unless it's a testimony. Unless it's a testimony agreed upon by both parties. R.T. Kendall said this, he says, When I ponder the sins for which I've been forgiven, it's enough to shut my mouth for the rest of my life. As we close this morning, I want to ask you two questions. The first question is, do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to forgive someone? And number two, do you need to be forgiven by God this morning? First question, let's, let's just pause at that first question. Is there someone you need to forgive? Someone that you need to cancel the debt for? You have been letting this thing fester, perhaps, and this thing inside of you is, is, is eating you alive. It's, it's robbing you of your fellowship with God. And you realize what's between you and God is unforgiveness. God is very willing to forgive you, but he's asked that you would forgive your brother or your sister of how they have offended you. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning, if you would. And if you would be so honest today, because I want to pray with you right where you're seated. If you'd be so honest today and say, yes, pastor, I need to forgive someone from my heart. I need to do that today. If you would just slip your hand nice and high, I want to know who, who God is talking to this morning. I need to forgive someone this morning. Lots of hands. I need to forgive someone. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice to forgive just as God has forgiven us. If you raise your hand, I want, I want you to pray this prayer. And I want everyone in the room to pray this. And it's a prayer to forgive somebody who has wounded us. Whether you raise your hand or not, I want you to pray this. Everyone in the room, because we want to live this way. We want to pray this way. I want you to repeat after me. Lord, because I'm forgiven... I choose to forgive, to cancel the debt and release the offender. I forgive them right now as Christ has forgiven me. In Jesus' name. You know, when we pray that from our heart, what we're doing is we're releasing that person into the hands of God. 
It is mine to avenge. It is mine to repay, says the Lord. If justice is needed for that individual, God can bring about that justice. Our prayer is that that person would come to forgiveness. That person would come to repentance and receive that forgiveness themselves. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I need to be forgiven by God. I am not right with God today. I was not right with God yesterday. I have never been right with God. I have never been forgiven by God. I have tried to make things right with God by by doing right things, by trying to keep the law. I have tried to be right with God, but I realize this morning I am not. My sins have separated me from God, but I want to be right this morning. I want you to everybody bow your heads. Now, if that's you this morning, raise your hand nice and high. Pastor, I need to be forgiven by God. I need to be right with God. Raise your hand nice and high because I'm going to pray with you too, right where you're at, nice and high. Hands nice and high. You've never been forgiven. Never been forgiven by God. Lots of hands this morning. Probably a dozen or two hands up this morning. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me, even if you don't have your hand raised. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I hate my sin. I need forgiveness. I believe Jesus died so I could be forgiven. I believe Jesus rose from the dead so I could live a new life. I now receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My past sins are erased. Today, I'm a new person. A new person in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. Amen. 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 Now, what happened there? If you raise your hand, you prayed that prayer this morning. What's happened is God is faithful, the Bible says, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sin and God has just cleansed you. How many of you feel clean this morning? Thank God you don't have to be bald to be clean. God has forgiven you. He's cleansed you this morning. Lord, we just thank you for our time together today. Lord, thank you for the the story we heard of forgiveness. We thank you, God, for your word directing us this morning on how to forgive. God, I pray that we would live. We would live. We would walk out this thing called forgiveness, God. Freely we have received forgiveness. Freely we give it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may stand this morning. And as you're dismissed... Our prayer workers are going to be available to pray with you this morning. If you raise your hand and you will receive forgiveness from God this morning, would you do something and come and let one of our prayer workers know? We've got a gift for you this morning. We want to help you grow. We want to give something to you that's going to be a blessing to you. God bless you. We'll see you at one of our prayer meetings this week.